Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Now, see, the enemy is really strategic. You know, Cece said it in the green room earlier. She said that she heard this word subversive spirit. I wanted to tell you what subversive meant because I didn't know. But I thought when she said it, I was like, mm, I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Tending or intending to overthrow, destroy, or undermine an established or existing system. In your life right now. The renewed mind is trying to overthrow or subvert your past. But at the same time, simultaneously, the enemy is trying to counterfeit the kingdom. That's the war you live in. I don't live in a war like that. I'm in the war, but I learned how not to be in battle every day of my life. And let me just tell you, you can have no momentum. You can have no lasting peace. You can have no lasting joy in double-mindedness. And the double-mindedness comes from pleasing two entities. I mean, I've heard it my whole life. I was raised in religion. Honor your mother and father. We don't even know what that means. We had someone create what it meant for us. And then we're guilty if we don't do the thing they said. And we never even checked it. See, all these things that create guilt, I checked them all for me. You're going to have to do that for you. you can't, I, there's not a set of structure that I can create for you. You have to ask him. You have to put at a priority that I will yield, I will surrender, I will follow, I will protect my anointing above all else. Because guess what? Someone has another version. And if, if the Holy Spirit had his way, let me read this little cool little article I just found this morning. It says, in the beginning, we find the Spirit hovering over the unformed deep. There, at the beginning, as God spoke light into being the first spark of creation, we know what happens later in Genesis. Innocence is lost. Murder, the deepening of human frailty and wickedness. Among the shattered fragments of our frail world, the spirit does its work. The work of a sacred recreation. That's what you are. You're a recreated. After the second Adam, last Adam, as Bill would say. It's the Spirit who opens new possibilities, new opportunities for God's people to be restored and transformed. Where things fall apart, the world falls deeper into oppression and the Spirit subverts. Subvert is one of my favorite words. It's the combination of two Latin words, sub, meaning under, and verter, meaning to turn. 
I made up the way you say that, just saying right now. But it looked good to me. I said it with confidence, passion. Crying and laughing at the same time again. Subvert means to turn under, to turn upside down, to overturn, to overthrow. A good picture of subversion is what the plow does to the soil. It turns it over, letting the good soil emerge from beneath the surface into the sunlight. The Spirit brings new possibilities to light. The Spirit disrupts the status quo. He's doing that to you. He's doing that to you. It's good. The Spirit refuses to take the world as it is. Instead, He flips it. He speaks into our reality, giving us eyes to see things as they are so that we can deconstruct the world around us and embrace new realities. That's what He's doing. He's messing it up. On purpose, all those things you came in the door with that you thought you were good at. No, he's flipping it all around. The Spirit refuses to accept things as they are and instead woos us down the dangerous path of restoration, recreation, and renovation. Why does it feel so dangerous to renovate? You know, we were at the house the other day that the Huffs were moving into. And, you know, the the Holy Spirit told me that they were going to get this house a long time ago. And I didn't tell anybody for a long time. It's probably been a couple years. How long y'all been in that house? Four years or so? A couple years ago, he told me, he said, I'm going to give the Huffs this house. And so we were standing in the house the other day, Pam and I, and we were, we were trying to make the decision, the $10,000 decision. Can Desrim afford to redo all these things? Now, the Baines had redone a bunch of stuff, and it's really nice, and, and I'm not speaking to that. But in that moment, I have two thoughts. They're right here side by side. They're snug. I have the thought of, well, it's not that bad. It's better than the <laughs> where they live now. But see, that's not a renewed mind thought for me. It might be for some of y'all. That, and that would be okay. I'm, I'm not. But see, the renewed mind thought for me was, what is the Holy Spirit breathing on? And see, I had the kitchen design already done. I had all these plans already. And so in that moment, we decided to tear out the old kitchen. See, in that moment, you can't go back. You're kind of all in. Once you see the cabinets out on the front lawn 
in pieces. See, but those thoughts are still right there. They're still there today. Did we make the right choice? Can we pay for it? But see, in this bucket is such a renewed mind in me. I don't even think Pam and I could sleep with excitement for what it's going to be. Made Cece go look at tile with me and we're picking out all this fancy tile and I'm designing all this and it's just excitement. Because it's so resists my old orphan poverty Teresa. You know, that's that's the scripture I've read it to you before, just so we can make it legal. It's first Peter five. I've been reading this to you lately. It says, if you bow low in God's awesome presence, he will eventually exalt you as you leave the timing in his hands. Put all your worries and stress upon him and leave them there. For he always tenderly cares for you. Be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly. Looking, I mean, like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. Guess what? You're the prey. I told you last time we met that you were meant to be a conqueror. And he gave you something to conquer. And he took all the tools from the enemy away from the enemy. Worship's a tool. And he left Lou with pride. That's why we can't have pride because then we're just using the enemy's tool. That's why we can't use independence because we're using the enemy's tools to defeat him and it only makes him win. It says, take a decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong, vigorous faith. That word resist is where we get the word antihistamine. I've talked to you about this before. What does the antihistamine do? Medical Mendel. What does the antihistamine do? Blocks a reaction. Two mindsets. The resist is blocking your reaction. You have to do all those other things. Bow low, pour out your worries, all that, be balanced. But see, it's the resisting that begins to block your personal reaction to double-mindedness. So what does he say? He says, hey. How about not? You could use that money. You could buy something else. If I resist that enough, my renewed mind's already going on. This is what you understand. The truth is I already know it's more blessed to give than receive. I already know giving is the measurement of return. 
I already know this is not even my stinking money. I already know that because I live and move and have my being in him, I already know. (coughs) But I have to put action to it. I have to put action to the truths I know. Otherwise, I'm actually, actually silently putting action to this other mindset. See, this is what you have to understand. If you're going to be strong in your renewed mind, it has to have action. Because you're honestly doing the other mindset, but you just don't say it out loud. To not tear out the kitchen that day, I would have been bowing to an old mentality of orphanism. And I would have even had to told you. It's amazing they're going to move in there. She didn't even know I was going to do the kitchen. Today's the first she heard of it. I mean, unless Abe told her, but <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? You would have never known. That's what keeps the battle going. I don't put action with the renewed mind. Yeah, I believe it. I say it and I believe it. It's better to give than receive. Yeah. Do you understand that as a leader, that's why I'm giving you the opportunity to give? Listen, if you're not tithing, you're already under a curse. This is above and beyond your tithes because your tithes just keep the building open just so you can come paint. Don't give me your tithes and call it a blessing for ark. Listen, I'm, I'm trying to teach you to not live in a battle your whole stinking life. It's miserable. I'm sure some of I can feel it in the room that some of y'all were in a battle because you got sick and you were mad because you got COVID or whatever you got. Cheryl got it from being in some water, I heard. There's all kinds of pretty people out there with advice. Listen, I sent y'all the video of the man with the COVID hat. We knew it was coming to town. Just depends on if you know how to prophetically discern or not. Are we mad that we got it? I mean, the Sasquatch man, he lives in our neighborhood, we found out now. That was another prophetic gesture we just saw randomly out in the middle of It's happening to you. God's trying to show you stuff all the time. It's just you got this going on. When I bow to this, I give room for the enemy. When I put an obedient action to this, I promote the kingdom. It's just that simple. There's no other way to do it. You don't get to say, well, I, when everything's right and dandy and I feel good, I'll worship. No, you worship your way to feel good. But truly, you're supposed to be worshiping just because of who he is, not for some benefit for you. <clears throat> Listen, if, if, if you really believe this, God provided everything already, then he's already worthy of all the worship. We're the ones that can't see the provision in the right way. 
He didn't provide a job for you so you could live in a house. He provided a job for you so you could transform society. And you could do it in a sneaky way where nobody knows you're over there praying for them on a day when you're tiling. Giving them a word and they're like, oh, oh, thanks. (laughs) Buying them a Bible. You're not there to make money. We've got to get the right things in the right order. Let's finish reading our little story, shall we? The Spirit refuses, I'll repeat this, to accept things as they are and instead woos us down the dangerous path of restoration, recreation, and renovation. We see this throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. Every time God brings about change, the Spirit is present to open eyes, inspire wisdom, reveal forgotten truths. They've already already been true. Do you get it, right? When you get this huge revelation for your life, let me help you. It's <laughs> it's already in existence. It's just new to you. Right? I mean, we're excited about it, and I want you to be. It's great for me when I see your eyes opened. But the truth was always there. It is by the power and influence of the Spirit that we have the great artisans shaping great works. It is with the voice of the Spirit that the prophets call God's people into faithfulness. And we are told that it is through the power of this spirit that things will be made right. Justice will come to the nations. Read Isaiah 42. Justice will come to the nation. What if you're a justice carrier? You can't be double-minded. Because then when a situation arises, you won't know the answer. Without the Spirit, we cannot encounter God. It is the Spirit that opens our eyes to see the world as it might be. It is the Spirit that opens our eyes to see the God who is coming. It is the Spirit who then empowers us to overturn the world as it is. The Spirit subverts. When we first encounter the Spirit in the Gospels, we see the preparing the way for the Messiah. It is the Spirit who impregnates Mary. It is the Spirit who empowers John to be the greatest prophet. And it is the Spirit who anoints Jesus at his baptism. The Spirit brings forth Jesus and then leads him into the desert to be confronted by Satan. Listen, if you really want to understand how the enemy works, read Jesus' wilderness experience. Everyone has to go through that on earth. Why do you think it's in the Bible? And the enemy doesn't have anything new. He showed all his cards that day. He's not even that bright. He's a created being. A little lower than you. 
Why is he so tormenting? I, I propose to you that we don't know what's him and what's us sometimes. <clears throat> but anything that's trying to exalt itself above God is of the enemy. I propose that most of the things that we battle with are things that we were taught and we're not sure how we believe about them. I was taught certain things about money. I was taught certain things about men and women. Why do you think this culture is rebelling? We're going to have some pronouns to know what we are. In name only. That's what's going to be the next generation. They're going to be like, in name only. See, our identity of who we are comes from the fathering. If I wasn't fathered well, I've got this going on. So when I hear about the goodness of the Father, I got this right here. Well, I don't know if I can trust Him. Listen, trust was broken for all of us. It's part of human nature. Why? Why was trust broken? Because we had an expectation. I had an expectation that everybody else was going to get sick and I wouldn't. I had an expectation I was not going to cough. I told the girls, I said, I hate to cough. I am not coughing. But it's my reaction to getting sick and coughing. That's all that matters. God's not measured by that I got sick. The test is how I react to the things of life. Do I let it change me? Do I let it discourage me? Do I act like... See, I think we all feel sorry for ourselves. Mm -hmm. I do. Come on. I think we all are like... <coughs> I think we're all like... Man, I don't think anybody feels this bad. Mm-hmm. Breezy, she's she gets the, she gets the Oscar for the things she can come up with about how she feels. It is enormous. I mean, it is like Lynn and I just sit and laugh our heads off. Today, I feel like I'm like, oh no, here it comes. It's colossal. But she was taught that the worse you feel, the worse you can sell it, the more attention you get. I'm not saying we all do that, but I think at the core of most of us, we kind of feel sorry for ourselves that we get sick. We kind of feel sorry for ourselves that we can't operate in healing. We kind of feel sorry for ourselves. Well, why has everybody got this? Do you understand? Those are all mindsets. Agreed? <coughs> I'm about to lose my voice, so keep. I'm almost done. I'm really just waiting for the cough to pass. Don't laugh, Phil. From the wilderness, we see that Jesus' understanding of his own ministry is tied up with the Spirit. For it is the Spirit's anointing that empowers Jesus to preach good news to the poor. And it is the Spirit 
who after Jesus ascends to the Father, is unleashed upon the disciples. A terrifying wind that leaves flames dancing upon their heads. By the Spirit's power, these disciples start to vomit strange words. A terrifying sign of new unity. A great reversal of the Tower of Babel. Where God fragmented human speech into many languages so that people would scatter. At Pentecost, the fragmented are brought back together again. You know, I was, I'm going to close with this, and Cece has a couple of things she's going to say, but I was thinking about this scripture in 2 Timothy, and it talks about what's going to happen at the end of time. See if this sounds familiar. But you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered, lovers of themselves. I don't know, is that going on? How do you know it's going on? How do you encounter it, people being self-centered, lovers of themselves? Do you even know you're encountering it? Are you doing it? People will be self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. I don't know. Is that happening? Are you sure? They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful, malicious slander. I don't know. Is that happening? Slaves to their own desires. They will be ferocious. Haters of what is good and right. And uh, let's keep going. Um, They will act without restraint, bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their own deceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of loving God. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from these people. For they are the ones who worm their ways into hearts of vulnerable women, spending the night with those who are captured by their lusts and steeped in sin. They are always learning, but never discover the revelation knowledge of truth. But verse 8 was the one I thought of today, and it says, History has given us an example of this. And it goes on to say with the Egyptian sorcerers Janus and Jambres. Now, this is referring to Exodus 6, you can read it. The story where when it says that there came a day where God remembered his covenant with the children of Israel. And in that moment, he developed a plan to deliver them from the hands of Pharaoh. So that tells us two things. One is, that was never God's plan. Right? I've told this story a lot, but they got sucked into Egypt because there was a famine, and so then, you know, they, the Egyptians treated them as slaves. 
Because why? The Israelites needed them to eat. It's a good setup for slavery. We're all going to eat. And so it says God remembered his covenant, decided to send a deliverer. And he said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh is going to need a sign. He's going to ask you for a sign that I'm the real God. And when he does, throw down your staff and it's going to become a snake. And so those two dudes that were Pharaoh's sorcerers were Janus and Jambres. It's not Jammies, it's Janus and Jambres. It's like Jammies, but it's not. And so what happened when he threw down the rod? When Moses threw down the rod, then Pharaoh said, we can do that. It wasn't a thing. God picked something that wasn't a thing. Janny and Jambre, they already did that. And God knew. But what happened next? It what the snake, the rod becoming a snake wasn't the proof. <clears throat> Right? So remember, this is a sign, an example. He's saying in Timothy, this is an example of what's going on now. See if you can follow me. I'm gonna make you I'm gonna make a little turn for you. Ready? Are you ready? So in the moment that their snake ate Jenny's snakes, right? That was a sign of what? God wins. You can throw down. You can do a throw down. See, that's what's happening right now in the world. Is your snake powerful enough to eat their snakes? That's the question. What's a snake? Lies. How many lies? Are getting thrown down for you. See, it's deceit to believe I'm less than what God says I am. That's the snake. When you say, I'm a child of God, you throw down your little rod and it turns into a snake, the devil says, oh yeah? This is what you've done. This is how you've messed up. This is why you're not going to make it. That's why you screwed everything up. You're going to always have... He just starts naming it. That's his snakes. Come back over here. Is your snake... Is your truth... Strong enough? That's when you live in the renewed mind. Janny and Jambres are going to be throwing them down forever. They're always coming. They, let me help you, little sweethearts. They're never going to end. The lies are never, there is too much material. Your human nature has too much material. All have sinned. <laughs> if you don't know, as far as the east is from the west, then one sin will keep you from your destiny your whole life. If you don't know, I've got to have a boundary to protect my anointing. 
you'll be a people pleaser and you'll never fulfill your anointing. You'll think you're a goat instead of the greatest of all time. Come on, Mendel. What an incredible message, right? It was so fun. And added little fun fact. Tisa asked the Holy Spirit what to wear today. And he said to wear this shirt that says tread lighter. And she was getting this download in the green room as the Holy Spirit was revealing things. And I was like, oh, that's what your shirt's about. How to walk through this life lighter, you know, not to be weighed down by so many burdens. And I love that on her shirt, it actually has these little leaves growing around the words tread lighter, which is to me that just attaches to that symbolism of that word subvert to turn, to plow the soil. You're going to grow something. That's what the, what the article said was that you have to till the soil and turn it up in order for something to be planted and grow. And so it's such an incredible, incredible picture. And so I have a couple of thoughts that go along with this because the Holy Spirit's so cool. He just gives all these little nuggets. But he, um, so this subvert, subversive spirit, at first I, I was thinking of subversive spirit. That's a bad thing, right? Just going with the good and the bad difference. But then we, we discover this, that the Holy Spirit is actually subverting this old thing, right? And it's like, wait, okay, so it's not just a good or a bad thing. It's actually both. So what, what I want to make clear is that what she's saying is that the Holy Spirit is a subversive spirit that wants to turn over the soil of your old mindset, your unrenewed mind, so that these new seeds of truth can be planted and grow into something fruitful. But the enemy is also trying to subvert your mind also. The enemy is also trying to plant what he wants to grow and your choice in any given moment when you have both things before you, both thoughts coming to your mind, determines which one you're going to be planting for. Which soil are you, are you building for the kingdom or are you building for the enemy? Are you building, you know, reinforcing the old mindset that you want to be free of or are you partnering with the new growth? Okay, so that's important that you get that concept. Both are subverting mindsets. And so that ties in with something that really stood out to me yesterday. I shared it with a few people at the encounter room, but I went back and I read John 10 and, you know, John 10 and John 10, 10 is where it says the thief, the thief only comes to steal, steal, kill and destroy. Right. Well, in the passion translation, I noticed it said the thief comes, has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter and destroy. And of course, this is, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect life in its fullness until you overcome. But the word slaughter there is interesting because um, Brian Simmons points out that the original word used there for kill didn't actually mean kill in the traditional sense. It actually means sacrifice or slaughter. So I just want to highlight this for you. I hope this isn't like too intense, but it really struck me. So death is not a threat to us, is it? So if you said, kill me, and I'd be like, all right, let's do it. I'm going to heaven. That's not bad news, right? So the threat of the enemy to kill me in the literal sense isn't that big of a deal to me. Think about interchanging that word sacrifice. 
Sacrifices are what are done on altars to worship. They were evil demon gods. They used, used to have to make a sacrifice to God, right? And now we make a sacrifice with our life to the big G God, right? So what that's saying is the enemy intends to steal from you, steal your purpose, but also make you a sacrifice to him. He wants to sacrifice your life, sacrifice your identity, sacrifice your purpose on the altar that worships him. It's not just kill. Sacrifice. So it's not just that we have to be worried about COVID killing us, right? It's not like that's the only game the enemy has and we need to be afraid about dying from COVID. Everyday decisions where we're partnering with fear, we're operating out of the the choices that where he throws his thoughts, the enemy throws his lies down and we partner with that. We just became sacrificed to him. We sacrificed our lives to him. And so that's really intense, but I want to paint the picture that that's how important our choices are when we are presented with these options. Because once you've started, you know, there is a time in life where you don't even know any different. But then by God's mercy, he starts to show you those things like, oh, well, you could do it this way instead. You could turn right instead of left. You don't actually have to live this way anymore. And so the importance of this decision is to determine, are you, is your life, your life substance, what you do on the earth today, okay, is it going to be a sacrifice that's pleasing to him or is it going to be a sacrifice to the enemy? We're literally making that kind of decision. Are you going to worship God with your life or are you going to worship the enemy? So just to, I just wanted to share that to emphasize the power of which of these subversive spirits, right? There's a lot of S's in there. Subversive spirits that we partner with. So we have two thoughts when we go forward, right? One is like this renewed mind option. And one is that old one. She had great examples that she shared with us. And so um, what the, the word that she shared about resisting the devil, the scripture that says resist the devil and he will flee. It's so great to realize that we are going to have to actually resist the devil. It's not like those thoughts are going to go away. In that moment, can you resist it and choose the other way? When you do that, you resist tilling the soil of what the enemy wants to build and giving momentum to what the enemy wants to build with your life. That's what resisting the enemy does, right? It resists his subversion of God's original design for you and his plans for you. So um, it was interesting because right before we came out here today, I happened to see a word that I wrote right before we got sick, the end of June, and I had completely, completely forgotten about it, but it so goes along with this message today, and so it's like the Holy Spirit just set us up, you know. But if you remember the last time we met, we spontaneously sang in pre-service, um, what a beautiful refrain. Judy was singing about how, you know, looking into his eyes of fire, looking at Jesus, gazing at him face to face. And I started singing what a beautiful refrain without knowing what that even meant. And so we looked it up and there were a couple of different messages that came from that. But we learned that basically refrain has kind of two meanings. One would be to like refrain from doing something, to hold back from doing something. Right. That sounds a lot like resist. Right resist or refrain from doing something. 
It also happens to mean a line in a poem or a, a line in a song. And so I had been pondering that, Jesus, what a beautiful refrain, what a beautiful refrain. And there's lots of meanings and, you know, angles on that. But what I got most of all was that Jesus made a way for us to refrain, okay? It's because of Jesus that we can resist the enemy. Without him, we wouldn't even know any different. We wouldn't have the light to know that it was darkness. We wouldn't see the contrast. And so it's Jesus, what a beautiful refrain. And I, so I wrote this word. I'm going to try to find it here. Um, I want to share with you today that shows a picture, again, of what Jesus has been doing for us all along. If you recall, that was right after Roe v. Wade was was overturned and we shared about the word to tell us stay, I think is how it was. It is finished, right? And so the Holy Spirit was showing me this thing. There was kind of this theme that was developing me about how when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, that those words are still reverberating around the world, impacting the world, making a difference in the world now, right? So this is kind of on that same theme about the impact of what Jesus did at that point in time and the impact it's having on us now. So I want to read, and, and I think you'll find how it fits with this today. What a beautiful refrain, Jesus. What a beautiful refrain. You're pulling the curtain back, Jesus. I can feel you. I can see it. I can see your fingers gripping what you're pulling back. I see your fingers taking hold of that which has been blocking, obstructing, hiding, disguising, shadowing, blurring. I see you, Jesus. I see you, Jesus. The veil was torn long ago. With the power of your great sacrifice, you tore open the heavens, releasing the hope for the nations. Access, access to the heavenlies, to the God of our own creation, the ruler, the sovereign, the loving father. Hope and permission was released. Light poured through onto a dark, dark scene, inviting, beseeching, releasing a love that had been for so long restrained. But who would respond to this magnificent, miraculous move of grace? Who would respond? Who would seek what laid beyond? Some ventured near, some ventured closer, some felt content to remain in the opening. But few looked beyond, and even fewer stepped through this miracle breakthrough. A remnant, a chosen people, growing, growing always in numbers, we've pressed in and dared to step through and push against the generational buildup that so often blocked our view. The journey has not been easy. But our encounters with your glory have kept us always, always going. Every revelation leaves us hungrier than before. Every majestic display makes our heart cry louder. Every moment faced with your glory, embraced by your grace, overwhelmed by your mercy, strengthened in weakness, captivates us to go deeper. Love has taken on new meaning. Love, we've found, has so many faces. 
And we're invited to come close and be their equals. We're invited to come and find our own reflection in the eyes of each one to find that love itself is what defines us. That love itself can captivate and relieve us of oppressive blindness. Oh, but how the voices of this world with its visions and definitions entangle us, complicating and blocking us from this perfect vision. We set our sights on the open veil before us, but try as we might, our vision is blurred, confused by the jagged edges of this supernatural access. Does this fabric still hold a key for me? Or is it blocking what I'm meant to see? Is there some remnant of what's been torn that we're meant to keep? to carry further into our destiny? What stays and what goes? Its fabric seems to have somehow been sewn into all that we know. Then, in a moment, seemingly no different than the last, I see you pulling the curtain back. The song in my heart, the one in faith I'm singing, has yet to even connect with meaning. What a beautiful refrain! What a beautiful refrain, Jesus. Your mercy, your grace is taking shape in a brand new way, intervening, taking hold of confusion, taking hold of what's blocking, taking hold of the mountain we've been straining to see around, the one we've been unsuccessful at moving. With just the tips of your finger, you pull back the distraction, revealing a brand new opening. Suddenly we see a new access. Suddenly we feel lifted from the place we've been stuck, propelled by freedom itself, the sound of it still ringing. We're invited to run, to run in Kairos timing through a miraculous new opening. You said it was finished. You tore the veil. A moment, a choice, a sacrifice a victory, a miracle that's still unfolding. Jesus, you have my yes. You've had it since the beginning. But just as you stand behind the words of your history, so will I. Just as you put present day action behind your words recorded in our history, so will I. I remember my yes, Jesus, and I bring it forward once again, putting action behind what I said. I say again today that you are king, that you are the Lord of my life, of my entire being. I say again that my life is yours. I am yours for the leading. Once again, I take hold of your hand, the one I see reaching, extending to receive me, to hold me, and to lead me. Jesus, you are such a beautiful refrain, one I will never stop singing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I just thank you, Jesus. I thank you for this imagery of what's really happening 
We are not buried beneath the works of the enemy or the works of foolish people who are lost and trapped in darkness. We are still standing in the wide open place that you made for us when you died on the cross and tore the veil. The veil was torn for us to access the heavenlies. And we have that choice every single day and every moment with every thought, with every decision to choose whether we walk through it with you or we stay where we're at and we reinforce where we've been stuck. I thank you that you're showing us today that you stand behind your words, behind your action, that just as the veil tore then, you are literally reaching your hand in and pulling back the thing that seems bigger than us, the thing that confuses us, the thing that we don't know whether this part of this veil is something I should keep or something I'm meant to move past. Those confusing moments for us, your mercy still speaks and comes and pulls the curtain back so we can go through with brand new access. You don't mind and you're not offended by the fact that we're confused by where the veil starts and stops sometimes. You don't mind that we're a little bit confused by our old teaching, by our old operating system, but you give us these Kairos moments all the time to walk through a brand new opening with you. When you come with your mercy and you move that veil out of the way, I thank you for those moments when we can see the light, we can feel the light, we can feel your breath on something new. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and give us courage, infuse us with a new fuel to walk through in response to what you make available to us with these choices every single day. I thank you for this Kairos time. I thank you for this word that says that we will back up our yes with our actions. I thank you for this teaching today that says it's not enough to just believe it, that we have to live it. We have to put action behind what we believe. And that's how we tread lighter in this world. That's how we live from the victory that you already gave to us. So I thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your compassion to come and lead us constantly. And I just ask that you would stand guard over this word, that you would infuse each person who heard this word today with an excitement to partner with you at their personal moments, those personal Kairos moments, those personal Kairos choices. Give them an excitement and a courage to run with you through a brand new opening. So we just thank you. We praise you today. We praise your name. We say we love you. Thank you, warrior team. Thank you, Papa God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. There's no one like you. There's no one like your voice. So we just say thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.